Father, I just want to pray as we begin this morning and ask you to speak in such a way that would be understandable to us as believers and understandable to anyone here that might not be a believer and that your word would just be simple, plain, powerful, that it would grip our hearts, that we would be moved. Lord, I know that when we come here, we often have distracting thoughts. We have things that are working on our minds. We know that Satan will try to rob us of the truth of God and the changes that need to take place in our lives. So we pray for your power to be present. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would rule over this time and we pray that you would speak directly to our hearts what is needful in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin by just kind of saying that if you had a child and you took them to the doctor's office to get a shot, more than likely they'd be a little nervous about it. Um, Depending on the child, if you told them several days ahead of time, that might be all they thought about for the next three or four days because they're thinking, I don't know what that's going to feel like. Um, I don't like to get stuck. They don't like pain. So they spend a lot of time thinking about it and the anxiety level rises. And sometimes they go in, they get the shot and it's over with and it wasn't so bad. Um, But sometimes the experience of preparation for the shot and leading up to it is when they, that's the worst part of the whole thing. But I will say this, no matter what their experience is, it makes all the difference in the world when someone loving is there with them. And I think that's true of the things that we go through in life. Sometimes we fear going through things and they're difficult things. And life is full of difficult things. But it makes a lot of difference if we go through it with someone who loves us and someone who cares about it. Life has many complicated and threatening situations. Some things are daunting. People go through traumatic events. And so facing a complicated, such a thing as a life-threatening surgery can be daunting no matter what age you are. Um, Losing your job can be very traumatic Getting divorced can be very hard and very difficult. Hearing that you have cancer can be very difficult news to deal with. Receiving tragic news is terrible. Having someone with you who loves you can make a huge difference. And life can be traumatic. And having Jesus with you makes all the difference in the world. And that's really what this chapter opens up with. And it talks about as we go through different things in life... Everyone's going to go through afflictions. Everyone's going to face hard times. But a Christian has this promise. And that is that Jesus Christ will go through it with us. And when we also want to talk a little bit about what he had to go through in order to be our comfort and our, um, our strength in such a time. So the letter, Paul begins by declaring that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, which means he's authorized. And he is an apostle by the will of God, not by his own will. He didn't place himself or call himself to be an apostle. God called him, and therefore he had an authority given to him by God to write a letter to these Corinthians. And he had a fellow named Timothy who was with us, Timothy our brother. And as you know much about Paul, he always had someone with him, and he seemed to be a discipler of men, and he was always training someone for the ministry, and he's such a model to uh, us and the church. And then he writes to, that's who it's from. He writes to the church of God that is in Corinth. So he writes to a church. There was a church in Corinth, which is modern day Greece. Um, Still there, you know, right where you can go. And then 
He writes a letter to communicate with them the will of God. He was an apostle by the will of God. He wants to communicate with them the will of God. And he writes to all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, which is the larger area. So he writes to Christians in a local church. And he writes this information is beneficial to all Christians. And so it's beneficial to us. He wrote to them in such a way that it would be applicable to you and me. And so we need the contents of the revealed will of God, which is Scripture. And then he talks about things and he says, it's kind of a typical introduction or salutation to one of Paul's letters. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's always a little bit of a Trinitarian formula in Paul's letters. He often will speak of God the Father. He'll speak of God the Son. He'll speak of God the Holy Spirit. And so everything Paul writes is Trinitarian. And it's also, he writes about things like grace and peace from God. I love to think about grace. We often sing about grace. We talk about grace. And so many people pray, and you'll hear the word grace in their prayer so often. And what is grace? And grace is um, receiving what you don't deserve, receiving something positive that you don't deserve. It's receiving a gift of God. Grace is sometimes referred to as God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. But grace is simply a gift that you didn't earn. It's favor of God lavished upon you, unearned. And then peace, when God gives peace, he's not just talking about world peace. He's talking about peace between us and God. There's a, a shalom, there is a wholeness between us and God on the basis of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of how he starts his normal letters. And Paul wants you to have grace. He wants you to have the peace of God. He wants you to know the will of God. And he wants you to um, be fed as the church of Christ. And so we have those things as sort of the setting. And then he goes into the first part of his topic and he starts talking about the comforts of God and the trials people will go through. And he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you take Jesus Christ to be your Lord and savior, he has God the father. And so our savior is Jesus Christ. And our father is the one whom Jesus is calling his father. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are intimately and intricately committed. We are in union with Jesus. So that brings us in union to the father. And then he calls him the father of mercies and God of all comfort. If grace is getting what you don't deserve, then mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You do deserve the justice of God. You deserve the wrath of God. And mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. So we're very interested in grace and mercy. And so he's already used these powerful words. I'm, so, I'm afraid we sometimes become numb to them when we use them. But he uses these powerful words. And these are the things that he desires for us. And he calls God the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It's like, where do you go to find mercy? You go to God. And what do you need mercy for? I need mercy for everything that I've ever done that offended God. It's really interesting that the one whom I've offended is the very one I'm to go to. It's like I need to go to him, acknowledge the offense, and there I'll find mercy from him. We tend to run from him and then somehow or hide the things that create an offense between us and God. And God's like, no, bring those to me. I'm full of mercy. So bring to me 
uh, because I am a father of mercies and then the God of all comfort. And so many times I hear people pray and they'll pray about the God of comfort. I use that phrase a lot when I pray and I often ask people who are in a trial or tribulation or I'm there and it's just natural part of my vocabulary when I'm praying in a situation like that, I think of this verse. And I ask the God of all comfort to be present, to comfort people who are in affliction. And so I pray that you're familiar with the God of mercies and the God of all comfort. He can comfort like nobody else can, who comforts us in all our affliction. In all of our affliction, we can turn to God, whatever you're going through. Everyone has things that don't go the way they want to. Everyone has things that are difficult. Everyone's going to go through trials. Do you notice? He doesn't say in here, oh, you don't need comfort because you live above that. You're the kind of Christian who never has trials. Oh, you must not be living the right kind of life because you have problems in your life. There are some people that say that and they expect or they promote a type of Christianity that they claim lives up here. And if you have sin in your life or trials in your life, then you're not walking by faith. But my Bible tells me that people need the God of all comfort, that we may be able that uh, in all of our afflictions, Every single day I should be calling upon God. I don't know what a day will bring forth and so I should be thinking about God. I need God with me. I don't know what I'm going to face today. I just know that I need him with me and he has the promise that he will makes a promise to be with me in all that I do. I also know that I'm going to have affliction so I don't have this rosy concept of the Christian life that doesn't include trials. I, he's not going to eliminate all my difficulties. He says he will walk with me through them not around them. And sometimes God in his mercy, there's nothing wrong with asking God, Lord, take this affliction from me. Nothing wrong at all. But we need to surrender to God's will and we simply say, Lord, please take this affliction. It's more than I can bear. And so he'll answer by either giving us the strength to endure or he may eliminate and remove it and say, I just wanted to hear you cry out to me. Either way, God says, I want to show you my power and mercy. And so he comes to us and that's the kind of father that we have. I hope you view God that way. I'm not sure how you view God. Some people view God and everything that happens, they're like, oh, God is punishing me. Or I dare not go to God. And they don't come and talk to God about things. It's like, well, God's not interested in my little struggle here. And the Bible tells us that he's interested in everything about us. And he's a God of all comfort. And he says, and then also he says that he comforts us that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So those who are comforted are able to comfort. And those people who have gone through things have something to offer you. And people in the body of Christ should be, if you've been through a lot, then you should be someone who knows how to comfort someone. And you can say, instead of just holding your little comfort to yourself and not ministering to someone, did you realize that God has given you a ministry in the life of this church and in other people who are going through difficult times because you've been through it and God has been present with you? And you can't, you're not supposed to just hold your trials, trials to yourself. You're supposed to be honest and say, I understand. Maybe not perfectly, but let me tell you, can I share with you kind of what I went through and tell you and promise you God was with me and I didn't think I could make it and I wanted to quit and I wanted to walk away. And God says that I have comforted you. Go and comfort others with the comfort I've given to you. Let them know that I'm real. Let them know that I matter in the midst of these difficulties. And this is the description of our God. 
Our God cared enough to save a sinner named Saul and send him to the church in Corinth and write them a letter about struggles they were going through because he knew that Christians from that day forward until Christ returns will go through afflictions. And we need this kind of uh, view of God and we need this kind of view of the body of Christ. A Christian church should never be a place where people don't talk about their struggles. Some people think it's going to prove that they're not a real Christian if they go through these struggles. It just proves that you're alive. Everyone has struggles. And Christians have struggles. And we don't always do so well when we're going through. And then someone else goes along and they're not doing so well. And they're thinking like, mm, I'm ashamed. To, I'm not a great Christian. And so they hide what they're going through and they don't want to talk about it. And they're not real and they're fake. And that doesn't please God and it doesn't promote the gospel and neither does it give God the glory and it doesn't help someone who's struggling when you act like you haven't. It's just not real. It's just fake. And God doesn't like fake. He likes us to be real. He likes us to be a place where people can say, instead of coming going here and going, I'm ashamed to go to church and say I've struggled with this or that. You're going to a bunch of people who have done the same thing. They just haven't said it. And God help us not to be so worried about our little image that we forget to minister in His name. The gospel is more powerful than our past. And it's through some of these things that God says, now I'm going to show you how to reach this person. Sometimes the hard-hearted person that is uh, not receptive to the gospel is because Christians have been acting like they're something that they're not. And so I just think it's Beautiful the way he teaches us this. The share abundantly as we've been comforted. And then verse 5 says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So that through Christ we shall share abundantly in comfort too. But that phrase makes me ponder a little bit. I know a little bit about Christ's sufferings. Do you? You ever been to an Easter service? You ever hear about Christ's sufferings? You ever hear someone talk about what Christ went through to be our Savior? What sufferings can he be talking about? The suffering of being the chosen one of God and going through what he went through for us. He didn't have to suffer. He was God. He voluntarily suffered on our behalf. And he says that we should abundantly share in Christ's sufferings. I don't want to share in Christ's sufferings. I don't want anyone to nail me to a cross. I don't want anyone to poke my side and bleed out. I don't want people making fun of me and mocking me. I don't want to endure what Christ endured. I want an easy life. That's kind of what, that's the way I came out of the womb. Give me the easy life. But this says that I'm to share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And I think we'll see in a minute, and I'm going to read some scriptures, but in a minute, I think we'll see that Christ wants us to be aware that that's what the Christian life is about. Sometimes people don't talk about the cost of following Christ, and they just say, you want to live the good life? Come to Jesus. You want all your sins? pardoned? Come to Jesus. And no one says, do you know it's going to cost you a lot to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you know it's going to be really hard? 
Do you know that you're going to face some problems that you've never faced before? Do you know that right now you're going to have an enemy if you come to Christ and he pretty much leaves you alone? The devil's fine with your sinful life. He's just fine with it. He likes it. He's, why bother you? You're doing just fine. Why mess with what's working? But the minute you decide to follow Christ, he's going to come against you. And he's going to attack you. And he's going to have strategies. And he's going to know, he's going to have schemes and he's going to fire darts at you and he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants you to be lazy. He wants you to neglect the word of God. He wants you to get angry and start saying negative things about the people of God and the church. He wants you to come here and gossip and slander and, and accuse. And he wants you to, um, he's got all kinds of strategies and he's going to come against you. So you're going to have an enemy when you become a Christian that you didn't before you became a Christian. And he's very real and he's very clever and he's extremely successful. And Jesus is really saying to us, wake up. I'm not inviting you to an easy life. I'm inviting you to a path of life that overcomes death. But during the remaining time period that you have from the moment you become a Christian to the moment you leave this world, you're going to be living in the war zone. And you've decided to choose to be on my side. You're on one of two sides. There's only two sides. And so you're either serving Satan or you're serving God. There are no other options. So many people say, oh, I would never serve the devil. Well, are you serving Christ? And they say, well, no, but I wouldn't serve the devil. There's only two options. I don't know where you get this, that there's a third option. There is no neutral ground in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of darkness. It's one or the other, period. And you might not like hearing that, but that's just the fact. You're either on Satan's sides, and unless you've changed sides, you're still on Satan's side. Unless you've literally rejected Satan and his kingdom and his side and said no to the devil and yes to Jesus Christ. If you have said, devil, I no longer serve you. I am going to serve God. I want to be a child of God and I want to leave that kingdom of darkness that never did me any good at all. And I want to come into the kingdom of light. Do you know you will wake the lion? You will kick the bear. And Satan will suddenly say, I now openly hate you. He always hates you. Satan doesn't love anybody. He doesn't love his side. Even if you're on his side, he's a ruthless general. He's a cruel master. He's a dictator. He's full of hatred and venom and he kills and steals and destroys even his own. But the minute you say, I follow Jesus, you're a marked man or woman. But this passage, Jesus is saying, don't you worry about that one bit. I will be with you and I suffered for you and I will walk with you the whole way. And then he says, he talks about suffering. If we, and then he um, says that if we share in Christ's sufferings, we will share in his comfort too. If you don't share, if you don't come to Christ, then you will suffer, but you won't share in Christ's comfort. You'll just suffer. And it'll get worse and worse the older you get, the more you realize, is this all there was to life? Is this all I, is this, is this all I get? And people around you start dying. And you go, well, I guess I'm going to die too. And what happens after death? And you get old and people go, oh, it's no fun to get old. I hurt and I ache in places. And now it takes me, I, I like to say this with my exercise, you know you're getting old when warm-up takes longer than the exercise. It takes you longer to stretch than it does to do the exercise. 
And you start hurting in places. You didn't even know places you had. And this world is full of pain and trials and affliction. It says if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we endure. So now there's two kinds of sufferings in this world that the Bible wants us to make note of. And one is the same suffering that everybody suffers, the common afflictions of living in a fallen world. We're going to break our legs, have to wear braces. We're going to need glasses. We're going to get cancer. We're going to die. We're going to lose our jobs. We're going to feel the effect of the economy. We're going to have all the afflictions that are common to everyone else. But there's another kind of affliction that the Christian's going to face, and that's the affliction of simply saying to the world, I love Jesus Christ, and I walk with Him. So there's the common affliction, and there's the affliction for taking up the name of Christ. And Jesus said, you will be persecuted for my sake. And Paul wrote in Timothy that all who pursue godliness will be persecuted. And we know, and many of you have experienced persecution for your faith. There are people that have rejected you. There are people, maybe when you first became a Christian, there was a group of people. There are girls that have lost their boyfriends when they became a Christian. There are guys who've lost their, um, their girlfriends, vice versa. There are people who've walked out on a marriage when one of them became a Christian. There are people that lost their job because they would no longer lie on their contract. There are people in the health industry that lose their jobs because they won't, they won't bill at where the bill says to go. It says, well, to write down this, that you spent this many hours and you did their services and we'll bill the insurance. And they, they, they're criminals. And they say, I can't do that anymore. I'm a Christian. There's people who won't do things that they used to do. And the kid who says, I'm not going to cheat. And it, you imagine how hard it is for a middle schooler to tell his buddy who's been letting cheat. They've been cheating all year long. And he says, I can't let you look on my paper anymore. I'm not going to look on yours. What? I'm not going to go drunk, get drunk with you Friday night. What? I'm not going to have sex anymore. What? We break up. There's a price walking with Jesus. And the Bible is saying it's worth every penny. That's what Jesus says, but I'll be with you. If you will serve me, I'll be with you. It's better than following. It's better to have God's comfort is far better than the false comforts that the world promise you. And God says, I'll walk with you. If, if you want to know how to do this in the simplest fashion I know, there's a verse of Scripture that was given to me early in my Christian life. And many of you know this Scripture passage by, uh, by heart. And you say, well, how do I, how, what does it mean to live the Christian life? Like, what do you call, like, am I supposed to do this? There's times, I don't know. I'll tell you a story about something. I, I, I got real convicted one time and I was riding in a bus full of people and somehow I just kind of felt like, well, if I really love God, I would stand up and preach to everybody in this bus. I really felt that. And I was like going, man, I'm chicken. I'm scared. And I was like, I think, you know, I'm, I just need to stand up and preach the gospel to everybody in this bus. Well, I never did do it. But that was a miserable bus trip. I kind of had in my mind that I was, if I was really loved God, I was going to be like John the Baptist or, you know, George Whitfield or someone. And I was just going to stand up and preach the gospel. And I had a, you know, they couldn't, get, they couldn't just get out of the bus and, and run off. But I kind of thought, 
But I mean, deep inside, I was having this tussle. And, and then come to realize that God wasn't calling me to do that. I just kind of had this notion. And in, I don't think it was God. I just thought someone had put this in my ear. And I kind of thought, well, if I'm really who I want to be, can, can I give you a simpler? May, there may be times. There may be times when God, but that time it wasn't. I really don't think that was God. I think that was the devil trying to make me feel guilt. I really do. And I lived with that guilt for a while and it took me a while to sort through. Was that God or was that, you know, am, am I not a true Christian because I wouldn't stand up in the bus and preach the gospel to everyone on the bus? Um, I have a simpler way to do this. There's a verse of scripture and it's really one of the best guides and it's all encompassing. And it's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You know all I really needed to do on that bus? Is let the person sitting next to me know that I love Jesus and would He like to talk about it. I didn't have to stand up and yell in front of the whole bus and do that because I had just got through reading the biography of George Whitfield. All I had to do is acknowledge God where He put me. And he would show me the consequence of doing that. And was I afraid to just simply let people know. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I just have to not be ashamed of my Savior and stand up and say, I'm against abortion. I don't agree with this. I love God. I'm not going to do this because of my relationship with God. Um, I, hey, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian in this group or, hey, can I tell you why I don't do this or that? And it's out of my love for Christ. And so I think if I'll just follow that simple verse and acknowledge God in all my ways and trust him, then he's going to show me where and when to take my stand for him. And if I'll just do that. Okay. And then um, he says, our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. So Paul went through all kinds of suffering as a believer. And it said that we despaired of life itself. Sometimes they thought they were going to die for their faith, but they didn't give up. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. And he did, actually, in the end. And that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If God who raised the dead can help you with your affliction. If he has the power to raise you from the dead, then he can help you when you lose your job. He can help you when the doctor says you have cancer. He can help you when you hear about a great loss. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope and that will, he will deliver us again. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So here, um, there's a couple of things that God gives to us. He gives us his promise that he'll be with us. He gives us the history and record of those who've been faithful, a record before us of those who've trusted in God and found him faithful. He gives us 
um, the church of Jesus Christ and other people who have comforted, like comfort each other because you've been through this, you comfort. And then he gives us the weapon of prayer. And Paul says the prayers of God's people have been powerful. You must help us by prayer. You must help us. Please help us. You must help us by your prayers. Do you know that our prayers right here, our prayers right here this morning can help someone in Slovenia today? Do you know that our prayers can help someone in China today? Do you know we have people that are connected to our church in Slovenia, in Asia, in um, we have people that are in um, Guatemala, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic. We know some people or ministries that are in East Africa, West Africa. Um, and that the Bible says that if we take prayer seriously enough, it will help those people, that prayer is that powerful. And it also says that um, blessings were granted us through the prayers of many. Do you know why? We're going to have a day of prayer and fasting. It's, it's just cool. It's the only reason we're doing it. It's just cool. It's really cool. Nothing really happens. It's just like, it's just cool. It's really cool to have people come all through the night and they sit there and they, they say things, they chant and they talk to the wall and they rock around and some of them don't eat, but it just makes them really look forward to the next meal. It's just really cool. It's just, it doesn't do anything. We're not really planning on doing anything. We're just going to sit in a room. And some of you want to come sit with me. I'll be there. I'll be sitting there a lot. And it's more fun to sit when you have someone sitting with you. And if you want to talk, we'll talk. We'll just sit there. Nothing's going to happen. Satan's not going to be afraid. God's not going to answer any prayers. We're just going to sit in a room. And, and some of you might wake up at night. And you're not really going to do anything. You're just going to wake up at night. You might as well just go get a bowl of cereal. Well, can't do that because we're fasting. So this night you sit without your cereal. We're not going to really do anything. Nothing really happens when people pray. I mean, that's kind of... We would never say that, but our, sometimes our actions probably look more like that's what really we think. I don't really expect much. It might be cool for the church. And I get to say I fasted one time in my life. Um, but this says the kingdom moves. Okay, so um, I, I want to shift our focus now. Um, in Hebrews, there's a whole chapter in chapter 11. It talks about people who suffered. And I want to ask you, why would you be willing to suffer and why, why would you be willing to? Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, it lists a whole bunch of Old Testament saints and said, These died in their faith, not having received things from the promise, but having seen them, agreed to them afar. They were strangers and exiles on the earth. So when Christ becomes our King and Savior, we recognize this is not our, our real home. It says they desired a better country, a heavenly one. So we get our eyes set on heaven. And people who had their eyes on heaven, it says this kind of stuff about them. Um, some conquered kingdoms. 
obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fire. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. They might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. People were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Paul has a whole section in 2 Corinthians and it talks about the things he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he said he was all this for his love for God and sharing the gospel. And it says that um, he was shipwrecked and beaten um, near to death multiple times. Five times I received of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So he was whipped 39 times, five different times. Um, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned in danger of his life over and over on the sea from robbers, from rivers, from Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness. Why would, he, why would someone live a life like that? Because he considered Christ worthy. And I'm going to, you know, why would, we, why would you live a life that? Because you consider Christ worthy. Paul did it. The saints did it. And I just want you to think, can you trust God with everything? Um, in Romans, Romans were told that Christ demonstrates his own love for us and that he suffered for us while we were still sinners. We're justified by his suffering, the suffering of Jesus. This is where we're going with communion in a second. It was his suffering. When we come to the communion table, this is Jesus suffered for you. He suffered horribly for you. And when we suffer, the only way to get our suffering in perspective is we can remember his suffering and think, he, I can do this. Whatever he calls me to do, I can do this because my suffering is nothing compared to what he went through. It's nothing. It's nothing. I, 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 I can do this. With Christ who strengthens me. Look at what he did for me. There's no condemnation upon me. Because Christ defeated the law and death on my behalf. I'm justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him we've obtained access by faith. And he suffered for us. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing our suffering produces endurance, character, hope. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This, this whole passage, this opening passage in Corinthians is based upon the suffering of Jesus. And because Jesus suffered for us, He can comfort us. He would have nothing to comfort us with if He didn't suffer for us because we would be doomed. And He suffered for us and He can comfort us with this. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. There's people, I, I, I get magazines. Do any of y'all get Voice of the Martyrs? It's a magazine that comes out several times a year and every magazine is absolutely packed with testimonies of people who said, I'd rather die than deny Jesus. And they do die. They die. They would rather, they literally, they don't say they would rather die than deny Jesus. They die rather than deny Jesus. 
They refuse. Jesus means that much to him. How can Jesus mean that much to someone? How can Jesus mean so much to someone? It's, it's a testimony. It's words. People just say words. It's just mere words. Why can't you just say, okay, I renounce Jesus. Just kidding. And tomorrow, when the threat is gone, I'll say I love Jesus. It's just words. Why, why would you not just... I, when I was a kid, I would thought, I'll outsmart them. I'll just say it. And tomorrow, I'll be back on my... I, confess Jesus. What is it about a follower of Jesus that simply would not, that they would dare not deny Jesus because to them everything was on the line with those words. They would not deny Jesus because they said, I will not deny him who went to the cross for me. It's not this little game. It's not a little game to them. It's like Jesus suffered and died for me. It's the least I can do is live for him. It's the least I can do. And that's what communion is. When we come to communion, it's like, Lord, I, I don't even understand what it means, all that you did for me. I'm just learning. I just know you died. And my sins were piling up so high. And my record of sin was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And I was trying to deal with it and realizing the older I get, the more I realize I'm never going to deal with my sins. They just keep piling up. And one day I'm going to have to face God. And I have this ever-growing pile of sins and I don't know how to get rid of them. I'm going to have to answer them before God and I'm terrified to stand before Him because I'm going to stand in judgment. I don't know how to get like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. How do I get this load off my back, this load of sin and all my transgressions are piling up and they feel heavier and heavier and heavier. How am I going to ever face God in light of my sinfulness? And Jesus says, let me face Him for you. I'll take that load. And I'll nail it to the cross. And I'll write on that load of your sins, paid by my blood. That's what this is. And you're coming to this table and you're saying, all my sins have been paid by the blood of Jesus. The pure, righteous blood of Jesus. That's what communion is. And now that I am in communion with God, my sins are paid for. And that gives me cause to celebrate. And I can endure suffering because he suffered for me. Whatever it is, Jesus, whatever you're going to call me to go through. And I trust you because you're a good leader and you're a very benevolent father. And you're full of mercy to me. So I know you're not going to ask more of me than I can endure. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to acknowledge your name in my life. And I'm going to let you guide and lead where it goes. And yes, I'm, when an affliction comes, I'll ask you to take it away. And I hope that you will. But if you don't, I'm going to trust you either. But one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to deny you. When things get tough, I'm not going to deny you. I have no other hope. And it's in my communion with you that I've learned I can do whatever you ask of me. I'll do your will, O oh God, in my life. And if you're coming to this table today, you're saying that, you're restating your salvation by saying, I feed upon Christ and His finished work, and therefore I can do the will of God. This is not a ritual. This is not some empty thing you do when you go to church. Don't do this if you don't mean it. This is not for you. This is not just to taste the juice and have a little snack before lunch. That is an insult to God. That is an abomination to trample on the blood of Jesus like that. So don't do that. What you do when you come here is say, Lord Jesus, I love you. And this little
token reminds me what you did to save my soul. And I love you. And I will follow you. And I know that you will feed me so that I can walk with you and do your will. That's what this is about. Okay? So we're going to pray. And we have three options for you. And one option is the, um, if you prefer, there's little packets in the back, um, at the back table back there. And there's a little cup with a little piece of bread in it. And you open up the two layers and you take those. We have um, bread and um, juice here for you to take a piece of bread and then you'll dip it in the cup which represents the blood of Christ and over here we have something that's gluten free uh, so the little cup back there the um, bread over here this one is the gluten free option so we're going to pray our Father we thank you so much that you would shed your blood for our sins that you would endure the cross for our sins and you said Lord that this cup represents your body, the, the bread represents the body of Christ broken for us in remission of sins. And you told us to eat it. And that you told us the cup represents the blood, the perfect righteous blood of Jesus. And you said, you told us to drink it in remembrance of him. We remember you this morning, God. And may our hearts and souls be lifted we can do your will when we abide in Christ. Confess your sins as you come. Confess your sins. If you have sins and you're like, Lord, I have a bunch of stuff piled up on your way up here. Before you get up or on your way up here, just say, Lord God, all my sins, I just confess them. I've been carrying some lately. I just lay them again at the foot of the cross and as I take again I just want to thank you for the forgiveness that I need refresh me renew me and as you walk back to your seat be astounded that God so loved you that he sent his only son to endure the cross for a sinner like you in Jesus name Amen